you're listening to a Screen Time special. So it shows up in the Screen Time feed and the specials feed here on 5x5. Regardless of what I say in the episode to come, if you go to 5x5.tv slash specials slash 20, you'll find show notes for this episode. And you can also go to 5x5.tv slash screen time slash 42 for all the show notes related to this episode of the show. On this San Diego Comic-Con wrap-up special, I've got none other than Jason Snell, king of the incomparable, lord of all IDG. Before I jump into the chat with him, and then we've got a couple little surprises right at the end of the episode uh, in commemoration of someone that we lost a little over a week ago in the world of the moving image, this episode is brought to you by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. They deliver all of our content here at 5 by 5 They really are the best. Check them out over at cashfly.com. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. Let them know you heard about them here on 5 by 5 They brought the bandwidth to you for this episode. Everything else you're listening to in August as well. This episode is also brought to you by Hover, Squarespace, Shutterstock, and Igloo. Hover.com offers simplified domain management. You'll get 10% off everything you buy from Hover.com by going to Hover.com slash DanSentMe or using the code DanSentMe. Whatever domain you're looking to register, do it with Hover. Get 10% off. You can move stuff over from other providers as well. Thanks to them. Shutterstock.com is where you'll find over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. You can start a search at Shutterstock.com to find the perfect image for a website, an ad, a publication, whatever creative project you're working on, they've got it. They had 10,000 new uh, new images every week. Every week. So sign up for a free browse account. See what it's all about by going to Shutterstock.com. There's no credit card required for that browse account. Find the images you want. You decide to purchase them. Great. Use the offer code DanSentMe8. Get 30% off of any package you put together. Igloo also brings you this episode of the show. It's an internet that you'll actually like, making it easier to communicate and collaborate with people at work. It's built around apps that you know, like blogs, calendars, file sharing forums, Twitter-style microblogs, and wikis. You can design your igloo around your business, add private rooms, mini igloos for each of your teams. The whole thing is real easy to set up, drag and drop widgets, the whole nine. Start building your igloo today at igloosoftware.com slash 5x5. It's free to use with up to 10 people. There's no credit card required, and as your igloo grows, it's just 10 bucks a person each month. So thanks to Igloo for supporting 5x5 and Screen Time. Finally, this episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create your own website. Bear with me, guys. The fact that we didn't do these drops during the show is why I'm front-loading them all. I appreciate your patience. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com. Use the offer code POPSICLE, which is what you want on a 100-degree-plus day here in sunny Austin, Texas. Get yourself 10% off. I use these guys myself. ArthouseCowboy.com lives on Squarespace, and that's where it's going to stay because they take all the hassle and all the work and all of the excuses I have for not getting content out there out of the way. If I'm not updating my blog regularly, it is because I am not making the time to because that's literally all I've got to do is just make the content appear. Thanks to them for supporting this episode of the show. Like I said, Jason Snell is on this episode. Links to everything, show notes, slash special, slash 20, slash screen time, slash 42. Either one. Subscribe to both feeds. You will enjoy yourself. Around at the end of this episode, I have a clip of an interview that I did with Andrea Romano, the legendary voice director who's done Batman the Animated Series and so on. A little over a week ago, as we record and put this episode out, we lost legendary actor Michael Ansara, a guy who at 91 years of age, had a long, fully lived life. Uh, But, you know, I feel like folks of his stature 
need a little bit of extra attention. Not just because they died, but just because they did such amazing work. So I've got a clip of this uh, interview that I did with Andrea a few months ago in which we discuss him uh, preempting that. I've got a preview of an interview that's going to be part of next week's show with Mike and Denise Okuda, who are instrumentally uh, involved, if you're, if you're not aware who they are off the top, um, with all of what I consider next Trek. Star Trek The Next Generation on through Enterprise. Uh, it's, it, they have some wonderful, cool nuggets to share and everything throughout the whole rest of the interview. But in particular, I started off wanting to talk to them about Mr. Ansara because he just recently passed. Uh, and they've got some really lovely things to say about how he figures in the grand scheme of the Star Trek mythos. So thanks for suffering through this horrendously lengthy intro. Now let's, uh, let's take it away with none other than Mr. Jason Snell of The Incomparable, of IDG of intertext, of all kinds of other things. Enjoy. Jason Snell is in 5x5's Bat City Studios, where I'm sitting right now broadcasting for one of the first times. Um, Actually, the first time running one of my own shows. Uh, This is going out in the specials feed. It's also going to be this week's episode of Screen Time, which will have a couple of screen media industry uh, interview things tacked on. Well, one at least, uh, because unfortunately, during the last week we lost... Michael Ansara, an amazing actor. Uh, He's on three different Star Trek series and also is really well-known having voiced Mr. Freeze in Batman the Animated Series. So I've got uh, a previous interview with Andrea Romano that I'm using a snippet of for him, uh, working on confirming the other, uh, the other little interview thing. But the reason we're doing this as a special, Jason Snell and I were both at San Diego Comic-Con this year on completely opposite sides of the universe from each other, it felt like. But we were both there nonetheless, and so we're going to talk a bit about some San Diego Comic-Con stuff. We're going to talk a little bit uh, screen media stuff, and I didn't give him any of the topics. I didn't allow him to prepare in the way that they don't allow John Syracuse to prepare. This is an accidental Comic-Con podcast. It is an accidental Comic-Con podcast. So we're going to go through a bunch of different Comic-Con things. I'm even going to solicit some stuff from Jason. Now, if you haven't listened to the most recent episode of The Incomparable, uh, where Jason is, uh, if it's possible to be six sheets to the wind. Uh, I was really the I, whole panel. I, I is only six, had it, I only totally. had two. I only had two beers, but it was we were giddy. But it was fun because it was live and it was outside, and we were also very tired. Um, and Greg Noss drank an entire beer on an empty stomach, which was really a bad move. Uh, so we. It's I, a great I, jumping on point. Just, is what you're just, saying. We're just yes, yes. It's 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 friends from college talking nonsense about Comic Con <laughs> for an hour. It's actually a lot of fun. We've done a couple episodes like that. And, uh, but you know, I'd we're, say we're a little uh, more clear headed. Oh yeah, six sheets. There, there was more like a sheet and a half to the wind. Yeah, please. more 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 like one point five sheets to the wind. <laughs> uh, really, the metric. Really good episode of the Incomparable. Regardless, uh, we're going to put that in the show notes, which will be found both at five by five TV slash specials slash 14 and i'm trying to remember this is episode 42 of screen time so five by five dot tv slash screen time slash 42 the ultimate answer to the ultimate question to life the universe and everything you know uh there was some serendipity to you being on episode 42 of this show i i guest co-hosted episode 42 of the anaco almanac i feel like it's a good number everything's unifying at 42 so to jump into Comic-Con foolishness, uh, I'm going to try to not retread too much of what you guys covered in The Incomparable. Um, how many how many Comic-Cons have you gone to, including this one? Uh, uh, San Diego, specifically. 
Uh, this is my third that I went to. So I went in 10 and 11 and then skipped 12 and came back in 13. So I'm not one of those people who can say, I remember Comic-Con when it was all about the comics, man. I I, I remember back when Len Wein couldn't walk a see, floor. Yeah, I started as the old man voice and then I wanted to go to the hippie voice there. It was all about the comics back then, man. No, I, I went starting in 2010 because the iPad. Um, I had a, a work reason to go, which was I really was interested in seeing how the announcement and release of the iPad was going to affect the comics industry because it was the first real piece of technology that was arguably a good comic book reading device after you know I read a lot of comics sideways on my laptop. <laughs> it's a bad idea, but I did it. And uh, and phones were too small, and then the iPad came out. And that's what made me go the first time. And then I went back and uh, skipped a year for various reasons and, and uh, then came back this year. Did you find this year to be exponentially crazier or worse than the other two years? No, I thought it was equally crazy. The way I describe Comic-Con to people is it's uh, it's a completely insane, insanely packed um, event I haven't. I, I don't know what else I would liken it to. Maybe the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas, but even then, the the square footage uh, in Vegas is insane. Um, in, in San Diego, everything is much more concentrated. But the crowd control is really good. That's what I'd say about it. Is that they do a good job controlling those massive crowds. Still, though, to the extent that they can, to the to the extent they can, and if you cross the street away from the convention center, then the crowds are just insane. And uh, if you want to see a media-related uh, event, like see Joss Whedon and watch the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. pilot, you will be waiting in line for the better part of a day, basically. And this isn't even Hall H. This is Ballroom 20, where this is happening. I, I did my first Ballroom 20 stuff this year. Uh, thankfully, I didn't try to get into the S.H.I.E.L.D. thing, which was super packed. It was apparently really great, really well-received. But I I decided to get to Ballroom 20 for some awful garbage TV guide thing that was happening in advance of Joss's annual thing that Dark Horse basically puts him in front of the crowd and people ask him questions for an hour. Um, and it was great. I just walked right in because everybody wasn't quite yet lined up for Joss uh, when, when uh, they were getting ready to let out the thing before the TV guide thing. And that's the only reason I got in. Yeah, I, I don't – I mean I just avoid that stuff. I, I just I, – there is nothing that they could have there because they've had – they had the cast and crew of Doctor Who there. They have all these things that I like and I'm never going to wait in line. I'm not – I'm just not ever going to wait in line for that amount of time for a, an hour of somebody on a panel. It's well, just and, not – and then they all get posted on YouTube anyway. Yeah. So I, I just – I don't see the appeal. So for when I go to Comic-Con, I will try to walk the floor and see what interesting things are out there. And then I'm looking at the schedule – for the smaller panels that are in, you know, room 12, room 8, these small rooms that, I mean, they're not closets. They, they, you can still fit several hundred people in there, but they're talking about things like digital comics and uh, comics in libraries and comics in schools and things that are actually about comics and the the world around them that I think is more interesting than uh, than. Uh, you know, the, oh look, the, it's a famous guy. Yeah, there's a scream. famous guy. Yeah, yeah, Woo. exactly. Plus, I don't want to wait in line for that. So that's my Comic Con experience. It ends up being um, that, and then, like you said, drinking beer. That's pretty much it. It's the it's the show floor. It's these uh, <laughs> sessions, and it's drinking beer, and uh, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, let's let's dig into some of the stuff that uh, got posted on YouTube, posted on blogs almost immediately after it happened in Hall H. I didn't even try to get into Hall H last year, 2012. I got into Hall H uh, by the grace of some people at Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures. Now that's the way to do it. Which, uh, you know, that's that's the only way I would want to be in there. Yep. Uh, I, you know, I got up and, and asked my first question in Hall H. 
uh, during a, a, a surprisingly tepid reception to Will Ferrell and Zach Galifianakis being there for the campaign. Um, all around, uh, it was it was an interesting experience. But uh, but again, I didn't even try this year because it's all stuff that immediately goes up elsewhere within minutes. So yeah, right off the bat, let's let's uh, let's touch on something from the Marvel Studios presentation. Okay. I they, thought you were going to go with Superman, Batman. Oh, first, but oh that's hold okay. on, we'll, 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 right. we'll get there. Right. We'll get there. We'll Fair get enough. there. I'm setting up. I'm setting it up in order. Uh, uh, okay, chronological uh, order. Uh, maybe, no? maybe. All right, maybe. Whatever. Just uh, just the way that I scribbled it on this note card. Okay. Avengers, Avengers, Age of Ultron. Avengers, yeah, yeah. Age of Ultron is yeah. what they're calling the second Avengers, Avengers movie. Yeah. Well known by now. Um, a lot of people who aren't reading the comics, I, I imagine you probably didn't read all of the Age of Ultron crossover. No, I I wrote I read the uh, ten or eight or whatever it was issue miniseries. I didn't I I, I read the core miniseries. Um, you read the whole thing. The whole thing. You stuck with it. I did stick. One with of it. my few friends who did. Um, I know a lot yeah. of people. Andy checked out. I thought, yeah, you know. yeah. I thought it was okay, but um, not great, but okay. And when and that once the Brian Hitch issues were done, it was a lot less interesting. But I still thought it was an interesting character exploration of putting a few characters in an extreme situation. I think it's kind of unfortunate that it was Wolverine. I thought that was an easy choice because he's, a, you know, a killer, and to make him seem remorseful, I think is, you know. Real, it's not that. It's just not that hard a story it's to a story tell about. about well, Wolverine has to kill someone. Yeah. Well, that'll be hard for him. But uh, having having Sue Richards there was more interesting. So I wish, you know, I like seeing those characters pushed into these uncomfortable situations. I just uh, they could have they could have done a better job with it than they did, and they could have maybe not taken the easy way out with Wolverine. So for those of you who didn't read any of this stuff, maybe you're not even into comics. Which uh, you know, shame on you. You should be reading comics. Age of Ultron uh, is a crossover event that Marvel did here uh, this year where instead of opting to show the destruction and decimation of all the heroes and the planet Earth and everything, they decided to skip a whole bunch of that. Uh, Ultron, this artificial intelligence robot thing created by Ant-Man, Hank Pym, has already taken over the planet. Yes, just destroyed most of the world and there are only a few survivors. And yeah. that's the story is what do those, how did this happen and what do those survivors do, which ends, ends up being a time travel. A time travel uh, let's change the past and fix the future. Multiple time travel kind of thingy. But the thing to take it back to Joss Whedon is yeah. they seem to like the name Age of Ultron, which I don't really... It's fine, but I don't think it's great. And they just snagged it for the Avengers movie. But it's the movie's not going like to movie's not going to be about the comic. The movie is going to be about the invention of Ultron. I guess they just really like the name. Yeah, but it's it's weird. It's weird. I don't I don't mind. Ultron was one of the earliest Avengers villains. Having this, you know, having I'd be shocked you know, if Joss Whedon didn't tackle Ultron as big of an Avengers nerd as he is. Yeah, I, I'd imagine it'll emerge from Tony Stark's stuff. You know, that his, whether it's Jarvis or something yeah, like that. There were that. a bunch of automated suits in Iron Man 3. Yeah, there'll be an emergent technology, you know, that will will create this evil artificial intelligence of Ultron and that they'll have to fight it. That's fine. And, and you know, I actually have a great deal of faith in Joss Whedon as a screenwriter. Um, he doesn't, you know, he... He is the writer director here, and he's not going to make some of the really questionable choices. I think that uh, somebody else might make if this was a a movie that was being written by you know five teams of screenwriters rewriting one another's stuff. I would be much more worried about it as a, an extruded corporate product. But for a for a, a I mean that was always the thing about the original Avengers was for a product that was a cynical 
a creation of a conglomerate studios, you know, let's assemble all of this franchise together. It was a lot of people said, well, it was actually pretty good because it could have been a disaster. And I, I have to give him credit in, in this too. I think that, um, it's unlikely that Joss Whedon is going to turn this into a piece of junk because it's going to be his vision of it. It might not be good. We'll see any piece of art, you know, you have to judge, but um, I have some faith in it not being a kind of just a cynical paint by numbers kind of, kind of story. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff riding on, on the shoulders of this movie, uh, mostly thanks to the financial success of the first one. Now, this whole age of Ultron thing, uh, I, I think we're in agreement that naming it age of Ultron is problematic not just because there will be people who've never read comics before who are the Avengers movie watchers that may walk into a comic book shop and go, oh, I'm going to get this this trade paperback of this Age of Ultron thing because that's what the new movie is going to be. And then they're going to see all this Wolverine and Fantastic Four stuff and things that Marvel Studios doesn't <laughs> even have, have the, the rights right to. to yeah. um, but, you know, that aside, looking at the Hank Pym issue, uh, Joss Whedon went on record to the people at io9, uh, this is something we'll put in the show notes, saying that, well, we're doing something different with Ultron's origin. It's not going to have anything to do with Hank Pym. I think he is lying. I think he's taken a note out of the Stephen Moffat playbook, uh. and he's outright lying because the next Marvel Studios movie they've got after Avengers 2 is Ant-Man, which is something that Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish have written multiple drafts of scripts for years now and that Marvel Studios has tried to justify putting into play. And, at, you know, my... My baseless speculation, uh, before we, we jump to one of the various other things to talk about, is that is that Ant-Man is going to figure into the post credit sting, and to some extent, Hank Pym, as a S.H.I.E.L.D. scientist, is going to have something to do with the AI that, theoretically, as everybody's assuming, infects Jarvis and right. concatenates around and I, I, As conspiracy theories go, that's not a, not a bad one. Not I, crazy. I, I would doubt that he would be an, an important... I think it's more more likely that that will be a wink to the yeah. audience that that oh and that that man's name was Henry Pym but it won't be yeah. like a, an important part of the the story because again you're talking about a piece of uh, a piece of uh, art that's going to be consumed by so many more people than know the source material and although there will be some collisions of people getting confused about the comic you know ultimately if it's a good title and it's a good story it's not going to matter I if I was Marvel and I had known this was what they wanted to do before Age of Ultron came out in comics, I would have changed its name. Um, just to change uh, having two different pieces of of, of work with yeah. the same name is weird. Uh, but whatever they, they yeah, they I like mean, there there the are other there are other Ultron crossovers to steal a name from, uh, or you could just call it you know Ultron Wars or something. Rise of Ultron. Rise uh, of yeah, yeah. Rise of the Silver Surfer worked yeah, for the Fantastic Four sequel. Uh, <laughs> anyway, you know it, it'll be. Uh, it'll be watched closely because the, the first movie made a billion dollars. Yeah, Mar- we'll Marvel see. Marvel notably held back other reveals. Uh, Kevin Feige from Marvel Studios has gone on the record saying that uh, don't expect any new announcements until 2014. Um, Disney's D23 has still not happened yet. I, I still feel like there's going to be something that'll uh, that'll at least touch on something that hasn't been announced already uh, on the Marvel Studios side of things. But jumping to DC, yes. DC movies. Uh, Jason was kind enough to have me on an episode of The Incomparable in which I, I tried to defend Man of Steel and I realized I didn't really want to defend it that bad. We just keep kept hitting you and hitting you until the entire center of the city was destroyed. 
Yeah, the, the entire center of me and was then, destroyed, yes, and then we and snapped, I fell, and we snapped your neck, and, and the, I. But fell. we felt really bad about it afterward. Now, one of the things mentioned <laughs> in this episode of the Incomparable, which will also be in the show notes, five by five TV slash special slash fourteen and five by five TV slash screen time slash forty two, is that I felt well. This is kind of part of Goyer's writing style, where he doesn't really resolve movies in the movie itself; he resolves them in the opening of the sequel. And the you know that's a bad habit. This will this will help them introduce Lex Luthor, who they didn't introduce in the first movie, uh, but was a very big part of the most notable Superman sure. uh, right. uh, event birthright that that the movie was based off of. And so DC's big reveal was a logo, a logo, and literally no other details. That is effectively a uh, a rephotoshopped version of the Batman Superman logo yeah. that was carried by some comics a while back so the next superman movie is going to have batman in it yeah they haven't even they haven't even committed to what the title is i think it's, they said it's either superman versus batman or batman versus superman but well, there's but a versus in there th- that's that's the dynamic they're playing up they read this quote from the dark knight returns i'm just about dark knight returns out yeah can i say that yeah 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 because i think you know, people have said well they're making everything dark and gritty well for me they're dark knight returns everything Chill out with the Dark Knight Returns. Sure. You know? Yep. I I find it a strange creative decision. And again, it's also a financial decision. I think there's some desperation in it. I I remember on Saturday when this news broke, uh, a lot of us were on Twitter saying, what does this mean? Um, I think there's, there's, if not desperation, some panic that um, Marvel... Uh, has been playing this game so well now and they really want to catch up and they see the the amount of money that the Avengers made and they really want in on that. So they're pushing the the franchises together faster than you might, faster than Marvel did because I think there's a ticking clock and DC feels they need and Warner feels they need to get in this game um, faster. But it's weird because Man of Steel, which had some, you know, it made money. Uh, it was successful, no doubt. But it did have a lot of its uh, of critics. It wasn't as well-reviewed as some other summer movies. And, you know, we might agree or disagree about the relative quality of Man of Steel. But there's this sort of thought, like, maybe they could, you know, with the second movie, they could address some of the problems of the first movie. And you, you had sketched out sort of some ideas about where they might go that I thought were really intriguing. And instead, it feels like... They're having that create problematic creative team come back, but they're going to make them do this Batman related thing, which it seems kind of out of left field. Batman and Superman and how they interact. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I I I question that decision. I feel like it's maybe too soon. It's not really giving the Superman sequel its opportunity and giving a Justice League or Superman Batman movie some more setup time. Instead, it's just like, oh, crap, we got to do it. Let's just do it now. Let's do another Batman movie. As soon as we can. Because we don't have enough Batman movies And we'll stick Superman in there. You know, the... I mean, Batman, I think I like Batman better than Superman. I like Batman plenty. Uh, You know, and I'm actually intrigued by the idea of maybe having Joseph Gordon-Levitt get promoted into Batman. But almost certainly what they'll do is they'll be like, no, no, this is Bruce Wayne with a new actor. And that's whatever. Word is they're looking to cast somebody mid to late 30s at the youngest uh, in terms of... of, uh, Apparently, the well, way that they're thinking right old now. old man, bad man. Well, here, here's the thing is, no offense to DC, uh, uh, Diane Nelson, DC Entertainment's president, who was an avowed non-comics fan before taking over one of the two biggest comics companies in the world. Um, I, they, they seem to have this creative indecision about the direction in which they're taking things. Right. A couple months ago, 
well, guess what? We're going straight into a Justice League movie, and then we'll do other movies. And now, all of a sudden, you know what? We're going to do another Superman movie, and it's going to be a Superman movie and a Batman movie at the same time. And I am reasonably convinced from people I know who you know, know people and uh, try to get agents and managers drunk at bars to get information out of them. Uh, DC's opinion of what they're going to do changes uh, month to month. Yeah, this feels like, I mean, I, I mentioned desperation before. I think the other thing in play here, though, other than the competitive factors, may be that, they, that there's an idea they liked that was a Superman-Batman idea, and everybody was like, no, 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 we're going to do something else. No, no, no. And they heard this idea, and they thought, actually, that's pretty good. Maybe we should do that. And they've changed course because they've got a good idea. I sure hope that's the yeah. explanation for it. Because, I mean, Marvel... Marvel was so bad at movies for so long, and and Warner and DC being the same company, they did so much better at at taking those properties and making them into successful movies than Marvel did. Marvel was nowhere to be found, and it's fascinating that to see the shift where now Marvel finally got its act together. They've lost some of their properties, right? They can't control the X-Men. They can't control the Fantastic Four. They got Daredevil back. Wee! But <laughs> they – and they put together this soft – plan of iron man and 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 samuel jackson in the post credits and let's see if we can draw together some things to lead to an avengers movie and it worked and it's interesting to see that that now there's a a response that needs to come from warner and dc and they i mean you don't want to ape them you don't necessarily have to do that but it just it just seems like you know their attempt to really reignite superman it didn't fizzle per, per se but it wasn't a gigantic hit the, you know the green lantern movie was a disaster the, you know b- the batman movies were all successful but that came to an end and that creative team and the actors and all that are kind of gone everybody, so they're like everybody's are, everybody's pretty now? much agreed that there isn't an island big enough for them to offer Christian Bale to come back no, to the no, role no no he's not going to happen. happen so so and and I'm not sure Christopher Nolan's view of Batman is one that is um compatible with a broader universe of well, he he went on record. Universe. He went on record saying that any of the supernatural or metaphysical stuff, just nope. Sorry, that's not what I want to do. It's silly. I don't believe in things like Clayface. I, I don't see how. Well, I don't see how Superman, as constructed in Man of Steel, really would fit in. Uh, you know, with with Christopher Nolan's Batman, I guess you could do it, but it, it would be. It, you know, it wouldn't be Superman's problem. It would be putting Batman in opposition of this kind of. You know super guy (laughs) with his little outfit well i just don't think it would make i don't think it would work when when the big villain that they they introduce in the first batman movie rachel ghoul a big part of his mythos is he has this lazarus pit thing he goes and takes a dip in whenever he dies and he comes back to life and they just go nope no he's just liam neeson nope spoiler alert he's liam neeson he's just liam neeson um yeah so it it, it'll be fascinating to see what's happening but it's um uh what how great is this though that we've got these these two uh big franchises that are trying to compete with each other and then meanwhile fox is trying to cobble together the pieces of its uh its uh ownership of marvel yeah and then you've got the spider-man franchise which is what sony 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 columbia Columbia. yeah well to we'll, we'll we'll use this as a nice segue into what fox is doing um it that, seems, that's marketing at Comic Con, by the way. I thought it was Fox marketing Days of Future Past, the X Men movie. They did some really great stuff around. I should have I should have brought my Trask Industries hat. 
Yeah, yeah they had, a baseball. I walked hat. past the Sentinel head, which was being protested by mutants' rights protesters. It was really nice. Yeah, fans. Stuff. Well, no, th- those were fans who weren't like they weren't in on it. They were just doing that. They got in, well, well. We'll get into right. it in a second. So, Sony Columbia. It seems that Sony is a li- little more friendly toward potentially working with Marvel Studios on stuff. Fox, however is very happily going in their own direction, going, nope, we're not going to try to muddy those waters and give them an in to potentially threaten our stranglehold on these does franchises. Fo- does Fox have Fantastic Four? Fox too? has Fantastic yeah. Four and all of the mutants. And all the mutants. And all the mutants. So it seems pretty certain that the the, the one borderline character uh, that, uh, that I've wondered about for a while is Namor the Submariner. Uh-huh. Uh, who I think because they have Fantastic Four and the X Men, I think they own is Namor is in probably. that orbit. Um, you know, they've got Silver Surfer and Galactus and all this other stuff. Fox is developing actively developing an X Force movie. Oh, they cool. are they are building out their mutant, mutant franchise yeah. uh, series of franchises so that they don't lose any of that stuff. But you're right, Sony Sony started to make some some positive comments about the marvel thing and i wonder if they feel like they're on an island with spider-man and they look at a, the avengers grossing a billion and say you know maybe we should work together and well, let spider-man be in the avengers and yeah. and 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 the first thing we heard about this is that they actually collaborated it didn't come off but they were talking about putting the oscorp building. the oscorp building in the avengers um, that that is in Amazing Spider-Man, so that you get the sense that they were, and they they couldn't. The renders it was going to be was, too it was expensive. too it was too far. They were, along. They were out of yeah. They, they were, were out already of sync. basically done. Their models weren't ready when they were rendering the the other movie. But um, I find that intriguing because I actually liked Amazing Spider-Man. It, it's not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination, but I liked it, and I'm looking forward to the to the sequel. Um, I think uh, Andrew Garfield is good. I mean, it's I, it's, I like well, it. Um, he, the, the it would be intriguing that, to see them the collaborate thing, with Disney on that. The thing that is most interesting to me, and this is this is jumping back to deep cut comic nerd stuff, there's a, a Marvel <laughs> crossover called the Infinity Gauntlet uh, in the early 90s. Yeah, it's after I stopped reading comics. Early 90s. Yeah. So early 90s, and this is something that's been teased out as possibly being what the big culmination in Avengers 3 is going to be about this super powerful glove that has magic gems in it that let you reshape reality and all that kind of stuff. Spider-Man is pretty prominent in that thing. Doctor Strange, pretty prominent in that thing. Anybody who listens to any of my shows knows I'm obsessed with Doctor Strange. Yep. Um, By the hoary host of Hogoth. By the Eye of Agamotto. All-seeing Eye of Agamotto. By the Deathless Vishanti. All right. And by the... You win. By... uh, I'm out. You've got a a million I I was going to keep going. Yeah. Um, Silver Surfer and the Fantastic Four uh, and the X-Men feature in it, but could probably get replaced. Sure. Um, It would make it easier for them to do a big Avengers the Infinity Gauntlet story if they could use Spider-Man. But again, it doesn't look like Fox is going to budge on giving them any of their stuff. So Fox's big stuff, they didn't say anything about the Fantastic Four movie that – is deep into casting, and they're trying to get off the ground as quick as they can with the director of Chronicle, Josh Trank. Right, which is great because Chronicle is a really good movie. And Josh Trank is a super huge comics nerd. Yeah. I had, had a chance to meet him when he came to town for and a screening Chronicle. And presumably the clock is ticking there because they'll have to get oh, yeah. back the rights if they've, they don't make a movie. They've got to get it off the ground. Uh, the the back-channel rumor that's been floating around is that he very badly wants to cast Michael B. Jordan as Johnny Storm. Um, oh yeah, I heard that rumor. Which Michael B. Jordan has twisted a lot of uh, Michael B. Jordan race sensitive from, nerds. From Michael B. Jordan from The Wire 
and from Friday Chronicle and from Friday Night Lights, not Michael Jordan from Space Jam. Let's yes. just be clear. <laughs> Michael B. Jordan uh, of Fruitvale Station in theaters yes, now and limited absolutely release. as Oscar Grant. Um, Outstanding Great actor. actor. Great actor in Chronicle. Really, really good movie. That would be great. And I know, well, this is, you just said something about, well, you know, I know the Fantastic Four was an Infinity Gauntlet, but we could, they could change it around. There's this whole idea of the sac- sacrosanct and that, you, you, you know, you're stepping on canon when you well it wasn't like that in the comics and you know when you're making a movie it totally doesn't matter unless it's something and, that's and sometimes it would be great if it wasn't like the comics right right so so having it be having it, it johnny storm or the human torch not be sue's brother and be or not not be sue's genetic brother yeah right or maybe he's a dog or whatever but having having it a black guy be the human torch why not why, why not? Why, why are, not are there not that? enough white men on the screen? You know, with yeah, blonde exactly. hair. Nick Fury wasn't black until Samuel Jackson was, was used inserted as the basis into the for the yeah. ultimate. Right. So you know, I'm I'm a, and he's a really good actor. You'd want somebody like that in in your movie if you're a fan of uh, of the genre. So yeah, the diehards will be like, no, yeah. it must be exactly like the J- Stanley and Jack Kirby. Yeah, let's, let's cast no. let's cast everything like it's still 1963. But they got to get that off the ground, and it's funny because that's a franchise that has has not had a success in you know the, those two. Uh, or what early 2000s late 90s movies were really I guess early 2000s were really bad they yeah. were very they were very bad they were the definition of Fox with Ian Griffith and, uh, and Jessica Alba yeah, and Michael and, Chiklis and, and Yohan I'll say that Yohan is great right Yohan is Yohan great Griffith, yeah. Uh, and Michael Chick- okay. Michael Chiklis is uh, he does is, what he can in that he, suit. he does what he can in that suit. And Jessica Alba can't act. Jessica Alba and uh, Captain America yeah. is the human. Torch. Captain America is the human. Chris torch. Evans. Um, uh, and the second movie is better than the first. But that's a that's a that's a, a, a X Men's movies weren't were successful even if they weren't actually terribly as, good as yeah as yeah. good as they should have been. But I tell you the Wolverine. Have you seen the Wolverine? I haven't. It's real good. Yeah, that's what I it's hear. Re- it's real good, and I didn't expect it to that's be what I quite hear. that good. Well, the X-Men First Class was better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, and I have some hopes for Days of Future Past. So they- so Days of Future Past, they are essentially uniting members of every single one of these X-Men movies casts because it crosses time and reality and all this other stuff. And So you got uh, – Ian McKellen and Ian McKellen and Patrick, and Patrick Stewart. Stewart. You've got James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender playing the same characters. So it's that it's a, a retelling of that same story about the uh, X Men from a future terrible future world, which is apparently where these X Men movies have led them to. Going back well, in time, the, to the original uh, story was set the in the year twenty thirteen. Yeah. So we're well, living go. we're living in a dystopia right now. I know it is. And we're living in a Stewart dystopia where where audio stuff uh, fails and freaks me out, and uh, and everything crumbles. But they've got they've got these actors from all of these different movies in it. Brian Singer directing again. They they uh, they they did a dog and pony show. Brought out the whole cast. Yeah, showed everybody. There off. was a sentinel head uh, across the street by the ballpark at San Diego, and and the anti mutant protesters, and and a, a guy in a pinstripe suit looking all uh, like he was Trask security. It was you know <laughs> they're, they're, the continuity in those movies makes no sense at all uh, because they had but, you they know, had uh, I think it was Bill Duke. Uh, playing Trask in the third movie, well, and now Boulevard Trask is being played by Peter Dinklage. Well, I mean, more more than that, it's it's you've got your um, you know when Xavier loses his ability to walk is different in different movies, and when 
Xavier and Magneto met is different, different movies. And it's just, it doesn't matter if the movie, if the movie is entertaining, it's not going to matter. And this looks like it's got a chance of being entertaining. Although I worry that it's overstuffed because it's got the future and past versions of all these different characters, though it will be fun, presumably to see future and past Wolverine since it's just Hugh Jackman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, presumably, presumably they have a target runtime in mind for this thing and it's not going to be a three hour long X-Men epic, but sure. Hey, you know what? If they've, if they've got enough movie to do that, we might suddenly see days of future past part one, well, what's days funny, of future past part two. In the comics, the prime motivator of the storyline is Kitty pride who, who is essentially a non-entity in the X-Men movies. I mean, there's a character, there's a yeah, Kitty Ellen, pride Ellen page is in yeah. it, but she, she is, she's barely in X-Men two. And then she's sort of prominently in X-Men three, which I forgot that I had she's seen. Not very good. On a Saturday afternoon so, on Fox. So they could use her or they could use some other way into that story. But it could be fun. It could be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm, um, I'm look, surprisingly looking forward to that since I've been let down by all of the X-Men movies until uh, First Class, really, was, yeah. was because my expectations were so low. And I will go see the Wolverine. Well, one of the most interesting comics-related things that happened at Comic-Con, which everybody and their mom will tell you is increasingly less and less and less about, about actual comics. comics. Yeah, it's not. Is Hugh Jackman, and he told this story on uh, on a recent episode of the Nerdist Writers Panel podcast. Um, uh, Len Wein, the co-creator of Wolverine, along with Herb Trimpey, got a call from somebody uh, at Fox who said, Hey, uh, we need you in Hall H for the big X-Men thing. Hugh Jackman has requested your presence. I'll put a link in the show notes, 5x5.tv slash special slash 14 and slash screen time slash 42. To that episode, you should listen to that. You should be listening to the uh, Comics Writers Panel episodes of the Nerdist Writers Panel podcast. It's outstanding, not just because Len Wein's on there, but because uh, Ben Blacker is an outstanding host and the other members of the crew are fantastic. It's one of my favorite new podcasts. Um, But at the end of all this stuff, Hugh Jackman brings Len Wein up on stage and says, I want to thank this guy in front of all of you thousands of people. And there was this kind of muted reception to, oh, who's this, who's this old guy? Right. Take off your shirt. But at the very least, at the very least, Jackman did a super huge solid where nobody else making all these movies really is, 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 uh, is giving that much of a do to these people. Uh, and I think, I think you, you put it nicely um, last night in saying that you don't remember who, who tweeted this, but the, there has never been a franchise character who has, uh, that, that has less deserved its star than Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. It's a really uh, great uh, performance in a series that's not as great as it should be. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, when you see the Wolverine, I think I think you'll find that they, they finally pretty much did it justice and did about as good of a version of Wolverine Goes to Japan as they right. could with the, the setup that they've got. So uh, I wanted to jump back to DC momentarily. All right friend of the show greg pock is writing uh, a batman yes. superman comic good old greg pock now before we jump off of these uh these comics movies and all that kind of stuff have you been reading his batman superman comic i read the first issue and i i really love greg pock stuff i i'm not sure whether i want to continue with it just mm-hmm. because it's it is alternate universe superman and batman and and things like that it's and new 52 I, I and feel, that still feels a little weird well right? i feel like greg pock is one of these writers comics writers who is never satisfied with working inside the stories that are um sort of exist 
as regular stories. He he always wants to mix it up, and that's good. But every story I read by him seems to be, you know, it's it's the Hulk, but he goes to another planet and 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 becomes the you know in charge of it. Or it's well, it's it's the X Men, but they jump into alternate universes and it's alternate versions of the X Men. I mean, he does a lot of that where it's like I'm not really telling a, a usual story. I'm going off format entirely, and that's good. But it's um. It's a little bit strange, and yeah. and you can't always be off format, or there's no format at all. And he's like, they're designated like for any publisher to come in and take your characters way off format. So in Superman, Batman, they're immediately blown into Earth Two, I guess. Yeah. Well, and, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say something. I'll say this Earth. about it. yeah. It's it's only two the, issues in, and it's it's too confusing to know what side is up at the moment. The thing that I like about it is that I wasn't really a fan of the jumbled mess that has been their Superman stuff in the New 52 thus far. And any opportunity to break from that, they've actually got Greg starting their Action Comics title in November. I think that's a good thing. I like Scott Snyder's Batman and all that kind of stuff, and that's all well and good. Um, I I hope that somehow or another they're planning to draw uh, a bit more off of what he's doing than off of Dark Knight Returns for whatever they do with the Superman-Batman movie. Mm. Just because, frankly, that that would be a breath of fresh air that I would be uh, I would be happier with than some sort of pseudo retelling of Dark Knight Returns, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense if they're leading into a Justice League movie. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to do. I hope they've got a really good story. And that's the reason that they're doing this. That's all I can. That's all I can hope. So some other uh, little assorted bits of stuff from from Comic-Con. We'll jump back to the X-Men briefly. I went to the X-Men panel hosted by Marvel with loads of X writers from the guys doing Deadpool to Peter David talking about his, you know, ending x-factor which i'm sure will get relaunched within a year sure um they mentioned they are launching another x-men title amazing x-men they're bringing nightcrawler back wolverine is literally going into hell to retrieve nightcrawler okay do we need another x-men comic uh i can't keep track of the ones that are there but see i'm a i'm a i'm an old-time comics reader i'm from the time when there was one x-men comic and then there was a big deal when then there was a second and that was the new mutants and there were two Spider-Man books and there was one and then there was a second Avengers. Um, and, and so I, I totally get the franchising of it, right? I, I, I totally get that uh, if you are – if you like X-Men, now you can get more X-Men all the time. And that's fine. They'll live, they'll live or die based on whether people are reading them. Like Greg Pock's uh, Extreme X-Men didn't make it past 12 issues, and it's too bad because it was a lot of fun. But it had a chance, and I, I sometimes I find that comic more interesting. There's so many characters, too, that you can't pack them in. I do like that they break them up into different groups. So if I want to do all new – all new X-Men with, with the chronicle of the old X-Men in the current day. I can follow that and I don't have to keep track of where, you know, well, where Wolverine is or where Storm is. They're in some other book somewhere else. So if you love the X-Men, it's great that there are lots of X-Men titles. And if you don't, then you just can ignore them. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I, it makes more sense than with Spider-Man or, or another single character where you've got to thread them through four or five different books. The X-Men isn't a character. It's a cast of hundreds. And so why not uh, split them up however you want? So technically on the movie side of things, but a very different, t- uh, different side of it, I saw the world premiere of uh, DC Animation's Flashpoint Paradox feature. Very dark, very grim, very violent. I've got a review up on my blog. Link will be in the show notes. Um, An adaptation of the storyline that led into 
the new 52, where the Flash goes back in time, changes something in his past, and it ricochets across time and fractures time. And it seems like this this is a, a recurring theme that we're seeing across, whether it's the Age of Ultron comics, the Days of Future Past comic and movie, uh, all, all sorts of uh, multiverse kind of things crashing in on itself. So I have a theory. And and it goes back to um, something that the producers of Man of Steel said about. We're going to call this the Snell Unified <laughs> no, no. game theory. No, it, it's 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 nothing like that. It's um, although you can call it that if you want. Um, the producers of of Man of Steel said that they were making a sci-fi movie, and I think that's what's happening with a lot of these uh, stories and movies and and comics is especially in movies where the comic book trappings of superheroes and supervillains fighting each other can be weird um, and audiences may not be as receptive to it, but audiences are very receptive to sci-fi premises. So I think the time travel stuff, you can throw it in with other sci-fi tropes, but I think what we're seeing in a lot of these movies is the science fictionalization to use a ridiculous word of superhero stories that maybe they go down easier with audiences that are primed to see sci-fi in their blockbusters than a more traditional movie. Like, you will believe a man can fly. Right. Or, or even like amazing Spider-Man with the lizard, right? That's a more traditional movie in some ways, although it, there is it's a science thing movie, right. a science thing happens and this dude turns into a lizard. Thing. Right. And, but, the, but, but the Avengers, although it's got all those superheroes in the end, a portal gets opened and aliens attack. And it's even, even there, it's a very science fictional kind of thing that I think, I think in comics, the, the dominant storytelling um, device has been, you know, people in tights and, and, and bad guys and they fight. And with, um, with movies, it seems like they are emphasizing this is why there's going to be a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. It's the sci-fi aspect seems to be maybe whether it is a better fit for movie storytelling, I don't know. But as a better fit for marketing and reaching audiences and connecting with them, I think maybe that's what's motivating this. And so that's why we see things that wouldn't be the primary storytelling in a comic, you know, Spider Island or something like that might it might be a good Spider-Man comic. But maybe as a movie, they want something a little more kind of uh, understandable from a sci-fi perspective. So that's we'll, my theory. We'll we'll see. We'll see whether <laughs> all of this coheres in the way that, uh, that perhaps Jason Snell assumes that it might. We'll see. Uh, I right. think I think you're dead on. Um, I think I think this is something that is the way that things are packaged. Until, until, so, until it goes awry or something else does it differently and is successful. But for now, I think this is the way that Hollywood is thinking about these franchises is that they're essentially sci-fi action franchises. I mean, you could argue that this is the same thing about what's happening with the J.J. from Star Trek is that they're not so much Star Trek anymore. And I like them a lot. But people complain about them and say, well, really what they've turned Star Trek into is a, it's a, pop sci-fi. It's a sci-fi action franchise with lots of action set pieces. And the answer is, yeah, that's what summer blockbusters and are. That's right? what Roddenberry wanted to do had he the budget. Right. But instead, they just had, well, we got some green paint. We can throw on some women. Yeah, sure. Right. But but again, everything gets pushed into this one kind of uh, storytelling mode, which is it's a sci-fi actioner. And that's what superheroes are Failing, you know, they're they're doing that. So we're not necessarily seeing superhero movies. We're seeing sci-fi movies with super people in them. I think well, right now on the sci-fi thread, let's let's talk about sci-fi thrills as it relates to Doctor Who. Sure, uh, Doctor Who. I mentioned this to you last night at this uh, this this uh, thrown together at the last minute kind of meetup thing that, that Dan and I found ourselves at. 
BBC U.S. Home Video announced that uh, later this year, before the 50th anniversary special in November, they're going to be releasing the entire 2005 reboot series on Blu-ray. Yep. Much of which was not recorded in high definition, but which they have... Up-converted. The line they gave me was curious. They were like, well, we figured out a way to up-create it Uh to 1080p's. Uh, okay, that was a combination sure. of words nobody should ever say. Um, sure. They, well, well, the the truth is that British TV has a higher resolution than American TV, so it will be higher resolution than Americans have seen Doctor Who before. Yeah. Everybody knows 1080p is that's what HD is. That people people know what right. that means. And 480 480p is what standard, standard def, def TV and PAL, was, which they record uh, Doctor Who in uh, or, or recorded that this series in. Was it 576? Five, is it 576 576 right so it's it's more lines of resolution at 25 frames per second so yeah i guess you know i guess it'll look better i I think the goal there is that they're giving a box set for people who are just discovering the series and yeah hardcore fans might buy it again yeah uh, for their for their blu-ray players i mean it's a limited edition thing limited run comes with a sonic screw comes with a sonic screwdriver universal remote and some other stuff like some art cards and things that they've hinted at but they haven't officially announced um Talking about the change in the way that these narratives are cased, how do you feel that's applied to Doctor Who? Now, we, we, we talked uh, about how compared to the, the pre-hiatus Doctor Who, it's a radically different thing. Yeah, we nerded out about Doctor Who a lot last night. So I think uh, what's interesting about Doctor Who is that it, it clearly has broken through in America in a way that it never has before. I was at a comic shop this weekend in Portland, Oregon, and the Doctor Who merchandise was everywhere um practically americans, outstripping the adventure time uh, americans are 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 doctor who literate in a way that they haven't been before and it's not to say that everybody in the world you know everybody in the u.s knows about doctor who but it's more than it's ever been before and uh you know and the show has changed um and and it continue it, it's been on 50 years it's changed a lot in, in in all of that time but certainly more competently produced now it's produced as a you know, as a movie, it looks, it's never looked better. Well, you could argue that the writing the last couple seasons has been kind of shaky, but it's never looked better. And for a show that was um, always knocked for being kind of crappy looking, um, it looks, the way it's shot, it's actually kind of beautifully cinematically shot now. It's unbelievable to think that it's Doctor Who. And well, it, presumably that'll that'll continue. Now, just this Sunday, they announced who the 12th Doctor is going to be. Spoiler alert, in case you don't already know, it is going to be renowned Scottish actor, Peter Capaldi. Yes. Scottish actor, Italian last name. Yes. His dad his dad was Italian and his mom was Irish and he grew up in Scotland. So he's got lots of different things in there. Uh, and lifelong Doctor Who fan. He was five years old when the original first episodes aired. And yes, you can do the math. That means that he's in his mid-50s. So he's taking over for, for a guy in his late 20s. Uh, and that'll be an, a different dynamic, which I think will be exciting because I'm actually, my wife and I were talking about this, kind of weary both of us of the you know young the young lovers paradigm of the doctor and the companion which has not historically been what the oh, no. what what the relationship the first companion has been. was his granddaughter yes. until they retconned that kind of stuff no she's still his she's still his granddaughter absolutely um but uh i think this will be interesting and different and and i think that uh, audiences will take to him like they took to matt smith and david Tennant and christopher eccleston i don't think his age is going to be an issue but i do think it's going to be a different dynamic what's funny is that a lot of people i know who are not huge doctor who fans but are fans of british tv um who who love the thick of it um you know so they know peter capaldi from his other work and 
they were raving when this was announced. I had a, a friend of mine who's a TV critic say, oh, I actually am interested in this crazy Doctor Who thing now because Peter Capaldi is so great. So it's a, it's different. It's been a while since, I mean, it, this is actually a little bit like the Eccleston choice where it's somebody who's got a lot of respect who's coming to the role. David Tennant was somewhat known. Matt Smith was a complete unknown. Peter Capaldi has a body of work, a lot of respect, and is a lifelong fan of the show. So, you know, and, and according to Stephen Moffat, basically they didn't, look anywhere else they wrote stuff for him had him come come over to Stephen moffat's house and recorded him reading the dialogue and then offered him the part there were no other people even considered which is interesting but um i think it'll be good by the time this episode goes up there will be a link uh, in the show notes to a post that i'm uh, that i've been picking away at that i'm putting on my site it's kind of a look back at a bunch of stuff that peter capaldi's been in for those who are just becoming aware of him of course the thick of it is at the top of anybody's list who who knows his work because that's that's what a lot of people know him from. Uh, he was in a really wonderful movie called Local Hero 30 yeah. years ago um, with Burt Lancaster. Um, he is an Academy Award winner. Yes, Peter, for, for I, making his own short film. 1995, he won live-action short uh, for uh, for a, uh, a short that he directed that stars Richard E. Grant, currently in... Doctor Who. Doctor Who, yeah, that's true. Uh, and uh, there, there, there's this endless uh, series of, of little connections uh, that have been really interesting to to, uh, to take a look at. You know, he was in the episode of uh, Fires of Pompeii, which Karen Gillan was that, also that is in. The ultimate, that episode is now the ultimate trivia question for Doctor Who because Karen Gillan pre-Amy Pond is in it as a soothsayer. And Peter Capaldi, the 12th Doctor, is in it as... Uh, Cacilius, the uh, the the marble dealer whose family is threatened by, along with everybody else, but they're the ones who get saved in the end by uh, the volcano uh, well, that destroys Pompeii. And he also he also was in the third series of Torchwood. He was in Children of Earth, and that is a, a fantastic piece of acting. Uh, I have some qualms with the way that series ended, but it was really the best of it's the best Torchwood ever was. And he plays a, a government minister who has to make some very difficult moral decisions and doesn't make them well. And it's brilliant and awful. And, and he does a great loads job. Loads of people, Amazing. loads of people had been have been chomping at the bit since the announcement of. Are they going to find a way to explain that he was actually the doctor and he was actually Ide- identical I, cousins? No, I, I, I kind of, I kind, I really hope they don't. Colin Baker played a Time Lord the year before he took over from P- for Peter Davison. You know, it happens and in Doctor Who, and it's not that big a deal. I think they'll just uh, not not they'll just ignore it, and that's fine because really, what the stuff that happens in Torchwood is so antithetical to the stuff that happens in doctor who that you kind of need to pretend that they're almost separate yeah and that they're in little pocket universes on their circling own circling back around to comic-con the fact that they did they held this announcement for after comic-con to get it away from the noise and the craziness and all yeah. that stuff they did do a screening of a 50th anniversary trailer which hasn't been seen anywhere else and they actually mm-hmm. begged everybody to keep it off the internet and they have don't spoil it and don't tell anyone what was in it yeah and exactly. if you do internet you will ruin comic-con for everyone i still would be really disappointed if capaldi wasn't in the 50th because i think peter or i think i think stephen moffat would not pass up the opportunity to do a multi-doctor story where a future doctor makes an appearance i've got a, I, I, you know i tell but you we'll th- see this goes into you've got your unified theory <laughs> i've got my unified theory that they they had planned on him since they cast matt smith it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me because people said that oh he was in the mix for the 11th doctor but you know dismissed early on i think that they obfuscated their vetting of him for the 12th doctor 
underneath them being much more serious about Matt Smith and Benedict Cumberbatch. And they have been tailoring this so that, well, when it's time, when Matt Smith wants to go, we'll be able to, you know, bring him in. I really honestly think that they have planned this so well that they have shot stuff for the 50th that he is in, that they have kept that secret. Well, if if they do it in in a studio, nobody needs to know about it. No. Um, or they can shoot some stuff, you know, shoot some stuff now and insert it if it's a, a, just a fleeting cameo. But I, it would be a fun little Easter egg, so it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. But anyway, Doctor Who was everywhere at Comic Con. Back to Comic Con. Yeah. Um, it, it, on the floor, the co- the costumes. There were so many Doctor Who who costumes too. It's it's just surprising amazing. number of Tom Baker. I, I was I was shocked at the and and David Tennant's and their tar- women in TARDIS dresses and. And Matt Smith's and just an amazing thing. So that definitely the geek community has definitely taken that show to heart uh, in the U.S. in a way that it, it uh, has never done before. So that's cool. Well, anything, anything like that, that you, stuff, anything which I do, anything on the floor that you managed to actually take in and not get, uh, you know, that, that didn't get crowded out by the noise of everything you mentioned. Yeah, we both. Uh, we're after Rich Stevens's new hardcover yeah, Diesel beautiful, Sweeties beautiful collection from Owning Press. It's beautiful. Diesel Sweeties book. Yep. Very, um, very nice. Any other interesting stuff that you ran across on the floor? You know, there's always like little little tchotchkes here and there. I don't know if I saw anything. There's a lot of still, you know, apps that have turned into toys and turned into games and turned into comics. There's a lot of the app apps are now part of the standard intellectual property circle where everything gets licensed and there's an app to or the app creates the merchandising. So I saw a lot of that kind there's of stuff. AR and their QR codes. Yeah, exactly. Blah, 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 blah. You know, and I stopped by the uh, Andy Runton's booth who does Owly, which is a great comic for kids. It doesn't have any words it's just pictures it's beautiful um so i and he's a he's a podcast listener he listens to the incomparable um and he's a very nice guy so i should get him on giant so you should you should he's a he's a he's a very interesting that's, right. that's that's one of the things we need to compare notes on in case you only listen to screen time or only listen to the specials and don't listen to giant size i also do a comic show called giant size which jason will be on sometime soon. forward promote that's right we're promoting uh-huh. across uh-huh. the network you know, well done. i think i think when we do the the how to get into x-men episode i think i need to have you on that in addition to Merlin. Because I don't know, I don't know that I don't know that I can handle Merlin. You can't by do myself. straight Merlin. Straight Mer- Merlin is hard. Only I gotta Dan, dilute. Only Dan can do straight Merlin. The I mean, rest John, of us need to. John to and I, can, John and I, will only be able to do so much without you in the room. So that's me pre-committing you to that. All right. Uh, so we need to start wrapping this. Straight thing Merlin up. is like straight heroin. You, you, you got to cut it with something. I don't know anything about drugs. I'm sorry. if I do, I'm just trying to say crazy no, things about okay. Merlin now. I, I'm really familiar with Black Tar Merlin. 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 It, uh, it goes for street value. Merlin, I can't listen to an entire podcast with Merlin on it. I have to, I have to, um, I have to parcel it out in small doses because it makes me jittery. It gives me a Merlin high, which is like a sugar high or a caffeine high. Um, <laughs> so I have to, I have to cut my Merlin um, and limit you my. You find Merlin yourself exposure. opening Busy Cal just to open it. You don't know why. Yeah, I just you, get really jittery and start talking about Saga. <laughs> which upcoming episode of the Incomparable? Of the Incomparable we should yes. pre-promote that next yeah. week's episode of the Incomparable, which I should have been on uh, had I not. Uh, if my house weren't caving in around yeah, you were me, unavailable. It, I was, yeah, unavailable <laughs> would be a gentle way to put it, yeah. uh, you know, stressed out beyond belief in the middle of an anxiety attack because uh, my whole rental house is breaking around me. Right. Uh, that'd be another way to put but, it. But Merlin was on that and Dan Warren and Tony Sindelar, I think, and uh, we had a good time talking about Saga. So a couple, uh, couple last things. I went to the Blu-ray producers panel. Uh, more lightly attended than I would have assumed, put on by the good people at the Digital Bits, Bill Hunt, friend of the show, future guest of the show. Um, and what was officially announced that totally blew my mind 
is that Shout Factory is releasing all of Pee-wee's Playhouse fully restored and in high definition on Blu-ray. Because that was shot on film and Paul Rubens kept the film canisters. everything. (laughs) Kept literally every scrap of film. They showed us a quick preview. They showed us these racks and racks and racks of film reels and everything. And there's some good Phil Hartman in there. That'll be great. Some really good Phil. Yeah. And there's loads of extras, loads of cut stuff that's supposed to come out sometime next year. That was something that went under the radar that, that it, it hurt me that that was under that, that of all things was under the radar at Comic-Con big deal, but the couple of big deal things that weren't officially announced by anybody on the panel, but, but but that uh, I won't even peg who said this, but that was not so subtly hinted at is that yes, the X-Files is finally going to hit high def and is going to be on blue. Oh, great. And Batman, the 1966 series, is finally going to be in high def and it so Blu-ray and all Are they going to do the stuff. Star Trek thing where they're going to remake the X-Files effects? Because those were a lot of early digital effects that were crappy. My assumption is that that's the direction they're going to have to go with it. Otherwise, they're going to be up the con- announcement. Otherwise, they're going to be up-converting the effects and everything else will look great and the effects will look crappy. I'll say that there were behind bar doors conversations I had with people during the evenings of Comic-Con that, that indicated that was the route you they got, were going. You got to look at what CBS has done with Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation and, Absolutely and, and realize that... Looks like a totally new show. It's amazing. And it's that's a long-term investment. That's not even about Blu-ray sales. That's about Blu-ray and streaming and syndication and having a product that's, you know, you, you can... Mastered for beyond 1080p so that yeah. it's going to look good when people are are watching h265 it's like, 265 when, it's like when syndication 4K. stopped doing black and white tv right if you had black and white shows you were screwed you couldn't sell them like the first season of gilligan's island wasn't part and the first season of bewitched i want to say or the first two most people who were kids and watched those shows on you know on the in the afternoon when they got home from school um, never saw those episodes because they were in black and white. They weren't part of the syndication package. Nobody wanted to show black and white TV shows. Well, high def is going to push all the standard def only stuff out there. And some of the stuff that doesn't have special effects like Seinfeld, you know, that's easy to convert and they yeah. have converted it. The, the effects stuff where the effects were in video, that's going to be the trick. So, uh, you know, I think Star Trek was a great example of like, you can do this. It can be done. It's a little bit of investment up front, but for the intellectual property yeah. to have that new life and you can sell it again into all these places. The, Plus, the streaming syndication in and of itself is going to pay yeah. for all that stuff. Yeah, and and frankly, the HD, money they make on the Blu-rays is, is gravy and the extras on these things are amazing. Right, right. So that's that's if they do that with the X Files, that's cool. Ideally, um, you know, all of these classic uh, sci-fi shows would I- eventually get that treatment. It's just for some, it's going to be Next Generation. In some ways, is the perfect storm because most of their effects were actually done in film, and having to remake for Deep Space Nine, for the X Files, for Babylon Five, you essentially have to go back into production. And do all the special effects for those shows, and that's a lot of money. So we'll see well, what happens. Once again, I'm going to pre-promote a past guest and next week guest on the show, Robert Meyer Burnett, one of the producers on the Star Trek Blu-rays. Um, these guys have, have done amazing work, and in particular, maybe you dismissed Enterprise out of hand. Okay? I wouldn't blame you. UPN was a mess, and it was barely on uh, most people's uh, uh, cable uh, cable uh, lineups and everything. But on the first season of this thing, they've got – an amazingly candid conversation between Brandon Braga and uh, uh, Rick Berman uh, talking about how, you know, the studio wanted them to have like, a, you know, the, the the hot band of the week play, you know, they, they have a restaurant on the spaceship, right? Why don't, why don't you have like a, a band and that's where like girls want to come? 
Um, really just uh, outstanding. It Yikes. just justifies the existence of physical media. A um, couple things that I wanted to touch on because this is this is also going to be a screen time show and because I got Jason uh, before we close out, uh, Chromecast. Now, this is a potentially a much bigger conversation to be had. Yeah, there's a big conversation there. But focusing the conversation on what we've been talking about in terms of Comic-Con and choice, and we talked last night, I told you about how I've been mainlining all these UK TV shows on Hulu+. Plus. Um, people choosing what they're going after and, you know, with the CBS and Time Warner Cable, Michigas, that's going on. Uh, do you think that the price point of something like Chromecast, if they can get buy-in from, uh, from content providers that, you know, maybe they don't have the juice to get on Apple TV with one of those little jelly beans. Right. You know, uh, Acorn TV, I had their head of digital on a previous episode and I would love to see them on Apple TV, but even though they have this enormous back catalog of British TV, I don't know that Apple is going to care enough about them to put know. them on Apple Cr- TV. Crunchyroll is on Apple well, TV. I, you know, I I, I want to say that Crunchyroll is probably part of a bundle of things. Yeah, but I just I I think that'll happen. But Roku is the is the thing you need to comp- compare it to. And the Roku box, there's a cheap Roku box for fifty bucks, and Chromecast is thirty five. Um, so there's not much of a price difference there. Roku has got it together, um, more than Google has right now. Roku's device comes with a remote control, so you don't have to use an app to control it. You don't have to buy a $229 touchscreen right. seven inch remote. But those little, those little plug-in devices are, um, you know, it's a, it's a way to make digital on your TV easier. And I think, uh, none of them is a home run. But they're all interesting. From the general consumer side of things, the thing that you go, hey, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandpa. I, I'm not sure I would what give. What can I plug into? I'm not sure TV? I would give mom and dad a Chromecast because it, it you have to um, use an app or a computer to every time you want to do anything on it, including like pause it. You have to have your app open. You can't put it in a, in a Logitech remote or something like that because it doesn't get controlled that way. Whereas a Roku has an infrared remote. That and it looks like a DVD player, RF except now. it's well, there's RF and infrared, and yeah. it'll do both. Um, that is a little more familiar, so I wouldn't I wouldn't buy a Chromecast for mom and dad. I would buy uh, Roku or, or an Apple TV if you've got lots of iTunes content. But uh, you know, having a remote control, not having to open an app every time you want to control it, I, for most people, that's more convenient. That's more understandable. Just another remote on the living room table, or another thing you program into your universal remote. Well, let's uh, let's close this thing out. I got to get All you right. across town, and in in getting you across town, I'm going to take you by the comic shop real quick. All right, because uh, you got to see it before you leave town. Well, then we got to we got to close it out. What's uh, if there's a closing thought about San Diego Comic Con? Uh, what your experience with it was this year, all that kind of stuff. What what would you leave us with, Jason Snow? I would say Comic Con is more fun than you'd think, and if you get a chance to go, you should go. Um, you should try to go on Thursday or Friday and go in well, the morning. <laughs> let me let me let me interrupt you real quick. What about regional cons? You know, you're you're out of the San Francisco area. Yeah, well, we don't have one now because uh, WonderCon moved. But but yeah. they're they're going to put a new convention in I, San Francisco. They say I've never um, I've never been to any comic convention other than San Diego Comic Con. Um, it's insane, and I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sure. That if you wanted to take your family to a show, you should go to a smaller show where you live because San Diego Comic-Con is expensive and insane and everybody's there, but it's nuts. And, uh, you know, I want to take my kids to a comic 
a comic convention, and that's why I'm actually sad that WonderCon moved because we were going to go to WonderCon, and they had a conflict, and now they're out of the schedule. So hopefully they'll bring something yeah, new. Back allegedly, to they're bringing yeah. something new to San Francisco yeah. next year. So well, that's, that's what I'd say. It's it, you know it's big and intimidating, but it, it's manageable and it's kind of fun if you don't wait in line for an hour or for a day. Wait so for one hour. Yeah. Show notes for this episode: five by five TV slash special slash fourteen or slash screen time slash forty two. The answer to life, the universe, and everything. This episode of the show, uh, I didn't plan it that way. I just the show was uh, was was it just happened was backlogged for a couple of weeks, and it just happened to coincide nicely this way. Jason, thank you so much for being on the show. People can find you on Twitter at Jay Snell. Jay Snell. And 5by5.tv slash incomparable for the incomparable. And, of course, you can go to Macworld and PC World and TechHive, too, and for your technology I needs. hope I'm not exaggerating, but there's this new super sexy and delicious uh, art for the incomparable. Oh, yeah. Yes, we have a, we have a logo and, that was made uh, by the Icon Factory that has many logos inside it. So, you know, <laughs> it, choose which one you like the best. Uh, Do you like the robot? Do you like the Zeppelin? You the pick. Icon is infinite. It contains multitudes. It does. Uh, this is going to be a shirt at some point? Uh, absolutely. Should, merchandising you know are, are you got are you guys gonna you know do some sort of a poll to figure out what kind of design people are going to be most disposed to because like you said there are a lot of I icons did, in i there. did a twitter poll and uh, we'll figure something out based on that Very not everybody will be happy but we'll 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 try to make but that, ju- that just means possible. multiple shirts more shirts multiple shirts limited yep. releases limited batches yep. uh, as always you can find me on twitter at moises chew that's m-o-i-s-e-s-c-h-i-u find all my writing online at arthousecowboy.com i also Host Giant Size here on the network. Uh, the Critical Path will be back after a bit of a hiatus uh, due to Horace's travel schedule. He's out in the wild, uh, you know, beating the bushes and, and hunting wild charts uh, somewhere in the wilderness. Uh, he's He's been even difficult to track down on email. Uh, but those who've been waiting for a new Critical Path, rest assured, one is coming sometime soon. Uh, thanks again for listening to this first ever San Diego Comic-Con special on 5 by 5 and uh, we will catch you on the next episode of the show. Thanks, 5 by 5 Effusive thanks once again to the great Mr. Jason Snell for joining me for the San Diego wrap-up as he was uh, finishing up his appointments while here briefly in Austin. Now, to jump right in to a couple of bits about Michael Ancera. This guy is a great actor, a fantastic actor, whose name you might not immediately know, but you probably know a good chunk of his work if you're a big nerd like I am, uh, if you're the type that would listen to a special about a comic convention. First, we're going to talk to Mike and Denise Okuda. This makes up the first few minutes of a uh, about a 40-minute long interview that I did with them that's going to be a part of next week's show, uh, which has some other little bits and surprises that's going to go into it. Um, so we're going to start with them. We're going to talk a bit about Trek and, and Sarah's role as a, a foundational Klingon performance in the original series and how that uh, cascaded across other series to come. And then we'll jump to a short bit that I recorded with Andrea Romano as part of the second of two big, huge interviews that I did with her a number of months back. Andrea Romano is the legendary voice director behind Batman the Animated Series, all of DC's animated universe stuff, um, those interviews are linked in the show notes as well, episodes 17 and 24 of Screen Time, if you want to just jump into tons of amazing animation industry stuff you've probably never heard anything about. Without further ado, here are the two, the only, Mike and Denise Okuda. I, I mentioned that I wanted to take a moment to talk about Michael Ancera, who uh, we unfortunately lost last week. Um, 
Mr. Ansara played one of the most iconic Klingons in the original series, a role that he got to reprise in Deep Space Nine, and then he, he later was in another Deep Space Nine episode, a Loxana Troy episode. Uh, but this man who, in terms of television history, was very well known as, as, uh, as Cochise from Broken Arrow, uh, this guy defined a lot of what we consider the iconic Klingon stature and uh, operatic Shakespearean presence. Um, and as, as Trek fans yourselves, um, I wonder if, if you had uh, any anecdotes or just any thoughts or, uh, or recollections of, of what it was like as a fan watching him and also being involved in one of the series that he was a part of as well. Well, of course, we grew up watching uh, the original series. So when uh, uh, Ansara appeared on, uh, on DS9 and then later on Voyager, that was, uh, it was quite, quite an extraordinary moment. It was a little bit odd because uh, if you recall, Kang had the old style uh, makeup in the original series but for reasons not explained until Enterprise, he uh, had a completely different look in um, uh, in DS9 and Voyager. But you still had that tremendously powerful presence. Yeah, it's always very um, interesting when, because we grew up uh, with the original series and um, and saw Kang, and then flash forward many years, and we're working on the different incarnations of Star Trek and to have some of the original series actors come and actually um, be on the series that we're working on is kind of surreal. So what he, uh, what he lent to the role of Kang, was that something that, that you found, uh, being as deeply involved in Next Generation Deep Space Nine, that, that helped shape uh, the way that they presented this different look, but continuation of the, of the Klingon mythology, and especially as we see uh, in Season 4 of The Next Generation, this, this major growth of the Klingon presence within the show, was, was that something that you were conscious of guiding the, the writing room and the, uh, the, the design department, that, uh, that there, there were notes being taken from, from these foundational performances? I think the uh, the evolution of the Klingons was uh, very much initially a result of, uh, of Bob Justin's desire that the Klingons uh, be more dimensional than they were in the original series. That is to bring to bring on these former adversaries that uh, that were so fierce and were and uh, opposed the Federation so strongly, and then to find that that we shared this. Uh, uh, this common bond that uh, with the character of Worf, and to have Worf uh, in in uh, Farpoint, uh, Worf's defining speech in in my in my view was simply when he said, uh, uh, "Sir, I'm a Klingon. For me to seek safety while, my, safety while my commander goes into battle, to me that defined the Klingons for uh, for all time to come." And then uh, when Ron Moore came on staff, he expanded upon that. Built heavily upon the, uh, the the notion of Klingon honor and, and the Klingon mythology. So again, to have uh, Ansara come back and to and to bridge those eras and to have this additional mythology behind him, uh, and uh, I think was 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 a powerful addition to the to the universe because he uh, just because of his, his terrific presence. 
Also, Blood Oath was written um, by Peter Allen Fields, who is a Star Trek fan. I mean, he had, has an affection for the original series. And that was one of the, fu the fun things. There were many fun things about working on Deep Space Nine. But um, quite a few of the writers uh, did like the original series, and they would try to bring that out wherever they could. So I think that added to the flavor and the authenticity of, of um, the episode Blood Oath. And now from episode 24 of Screen Time, titled Queen of Gotham, here is Andrea Romano talking about Michael Ansara and Mr. Freeze. But to go back to the Mr. Freeze thing, it's very interesting that you point that particular character out because I remember when we cast it uh, with Michael Ansara, it was just a, a joy. Um, we did the, the first recording session, and I worked very fast. And so what would normally take most uh, sessions is a four-hour session to get a 22-minute episode recorded we had gotten to the point where bruce tim and i worked together so well and the actors were so happening that we could record rehearse and record an episode in about two and a half hours so we did the entire first episode with mr freeze in it and then bruce uh, said we need to go back and redo mr freeze i want to play him differently than what we just did and so we let the rest of the cast go and kept Michael and worked with him on creating, exactly as you say, a different incarnation of this character. As I did the research on that character and as I, after that, watched some of the other versions of it, whether it be the live action films or whatever, he was kind of a, a, a I don't want to say foolish character. He was a silly character. He kind of was a joke. He was, he was a funny little guy with an ice gun. Yeah, he didn't. He wasn't threatening, and he really didn't have. You really couldn't tell why so much he was the way he was. And for me, villains aren't just born villains. Something happens to them that turns them to the dark side, to use a Star Wars reference. And they, so something clearly happened. And we spent some time working that into the story as to what happened to his wife and why he became the way he is and what his revenge is all about. And I think it makes for a far more compelling character with a lot more dimension than just a guy with a gun and, and uh, unhinged mind. That's it for this special San Diego Comic-Con wrap-up episode of Screen Time. Show notes at 5x5.tv slash special slash 20 and 5x5.tv slash screen time slash 42. The number that is the answer to life, the universe, and everything. I'm your host, Moises Chuyan. If you are interested in more from Mike and Denise Okuda, definitely listen to the next episode of Screen Time. Subscribe to the feed. And if you're intrigued by more anecdotes and stories and uh, bits of perspective on the animation industry and animation history over the last 30 years or so, check out episodes 17 and 24 of Screen Time. They're linked in the show notes for more from the amazing, the one and the only uh, Ms. Andrea Romano, who I finally got to meet in person at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with loads more content here on Screen Time.